0: In you I find my joy. We are in a series on worship. Uh, that's the series that we are in, talking about uh, giving praise and adoration to God. And, and when, we, when we had the idea for this series, Jake came to me, and he's our, he's our worship uh, leader here, and he said, I think we should do a, a worship series. I thought certainly my job in that series as like, the head teacher, if you will, would be to give an explanation of what worship is what it is where it comes from theologically why we worship is singing just worship or should we worship in other spaces and, and, uh, and all of that and there's going to be a little bit of that this evening but but over this past week and, and actually even over the past couple weeks I've been asking God uh, kind of what I should t- share and what I should talk about in relation to worship I've given many messages on worship uh, some of them here and, um, and 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 all I could all that was repeating in my head as I asked God what do you want me to talk about was this phrase. Phrase. And here's the phrase Tell them why you built a church around worship. So I want to do that this evening. (laughs) I want to tell you when our leadership team and myself had the opportunity to plant a church, why we planted a church around worship. (laughs) Why build a church around worship? What about teaching? Studying the scriptures, really going deeper in the word, <laughs> all that Christianese stuff. Uh, what about evangelism? What about getting outside the four walls or justice work? Uh, what about study? Why build a church around worship? Well, the first reason is that I get to lead this church, and so worship is a part of my story, so it has to be a part of this church. When I was 16 years old, I started following Jesus. I really had a kind of a decisive moment in my life where I made a decision, my faith is going to be my own. And what had happened was, uh, I kind of had a rough junior year of high school, as many do, and at the end of that year of high school, I was really searching for, well, who am I? And and what am I going to be about in my life? Uh, my parents uh, were believers. I would not have considered myself a believer at that time. Um, I remember even just thinking, like actually saying, I reject you, God, wherever you are. I'm not following you. And in his sense of humor, I'm now a pastor. Uh, so, so I, I remember um, we, we went on this uh, mission trip. My mom worked with an organization in Rwanda, and we went on this trip uh, to, to visit Rwanda, and, and I, I brought along with me um, a CD player. Does anybody know what a CD player is, just by a show of hands? Um, so, so I brought along this CD player, and I had a, I had a couple CDs, but, but <laughs> it was like Fallout Boy, Cartel, and then it was Hillsong United. So I had a Hillsong United album with me. I was like, you know, they're Christian, but they sound pretty cool. And I couldn't stop listening to it. I remember I would stay up late at night, and, and I would listen to this album uh, over and over and over again, late into the night. I'd be listening to this album, and I, there was something about it. I just couldn't stop, stop, stop putting it into my ears. And, and these songs were talking about God, and I thought, oh, if there was a God, that'd be really nice, because I, I feel pretty broken right now with this past year. And, and I remember it, it talked about, like, these people were singing songs about how they found themselves in God. I, I thought, oh, that'd be so wonderful. And in that time... In Rwanda, I just felt the Lord in my life that I couldn't deny. I couldn't deny that God existed. It was an experience. It's my story. You can't argue with it. But I couldn't deny that God existed. And I couldn't deny that he had gotten personal with me. And so I came back from that trip just really kind of almost reeling. I started opening the Bible and reading the scriptures and going, I think that voice that I've encountered is the same voice that's on these pages. And it, just, it really blew my mind. The the next thing that happened uh, in in the way that worship intersected with my story was I started going to this church ministry called The Way, and it was a young adults ministry about 10 years ago. That makes me feel old. I know some of you in the room, you're like, you're a young guy, but it makes me feel old to say that 10 years ago, well, anyways. Um, So so about 10 years ago, I'm at this this college ministry, and they had these extended times of worship. And I remember just looking up at the screen, and the lyrics were there. And I I didn't know these songs, but I just started saying these words. And I actually meant them. I started giving praise to God, and I actually meant it. And just powerful times of worship. Times of worship like we've had here where you're just like, I don't know what just happened, but everything is different from this point forward. And this would happen week in and week out. Worship became this this thing I looked forward to. I couldn't wait to go to church. I couldn't wait to be there and just to sing. It it was something that, that became almost like an identity thing to me. Like, wow, I'm a worshiper. Uh, that, that next year, um, I, I, I began worshiping and getting my guitar and was just worshiping in my room. And so I, I began to learn. I, was, I went from like Blink-182 songs to like, you know, like, I don't know, Hillsong songs. And I started learning songs on my guitar and actually singing to God in my room. And this became like probably, I think back... All my life, the most transformative thing in my life has been me alone in my room with my guitar. Like, just those times with the Lord have been just some of the most transformative, some of the most growth I've seen in my life has come from those times. I, I remember when I first started attempting to preach at these little Bible studies I'd do back when I was in college, I didn't even know that there was such a thing as a commentary where people, smart people, could tell you what the scriptures meant. So all I would do is I'd just get my guitar, I'd be like, I have no idea what this means. I'd worship a little bit, and then the Lord would be like, revealing things in the text about what it meant. And then later on, I'd go to commentaries, and they'd be like, yep, that was exactly right. Whoa! It's like, oh my goodness. It's almost as if he wrote it. You just need to talk to him. So I, be, so I, began, to, I began to worship. Uh, all the time, I, I worked at this, um, this really nice property as like an assistant caretaker, there was a full-time caretaker who had his own house. It was one of those properties, very nice spot. And, um, and all, all day long, I'd be listening uh, in my, you know, I was doing a lot of power washing, doing a lot of weeding, things like that. I would just be worshiping all day long. And it just began this culture of worship in my life where it's been one of the most important things. I remember there was a time, you probably remember this, Mom, when I couldn't go on a vacation without my guitar. It's like, I can't be away from personal worship for a week. Oh, that can't that can't happen. And so I had to take it with me everywhere. So so honestly, one of the main reasons why Saints Hill is the way that it is is that I want us to be a worshipping people. I want to worship. I dreamed, actually, as a young man, I dreamed of a worshiping church, a singing church, a church that was caught up in awe of God, full of his presence. You couldn't come into the space without, without saying, okay, I don't know what's going on up there on stage, but I sense uh, that God is in the room. So that's part of the story. That's the first part of the story. Uh, the second part of the story is that when we when we felt like we were supposed to plant this church, literally, the day after, when when my wife and I, we knew exactly what we were supposed to do. We were supposed to plant a church in Newburgh. The next day, we got on a plane, and we flew down to see Jake and Becky. Some of you guys know this story. We flew down to see Jake and Becky. I'm on the plane. I sleep great on planes. Love sleeping on planes. Uh, even, like, my little, you know, like, my, my uh, app on my phone, it's on an airplane sound so that I can sleep here on the ground, like I'm sleeping in a plane. Uh, we're on this plane, and, and, and I am kind of dozing in and out of sleep. And I see the hills over here, these hills, these beautiful hills. And at the time, we were living in Portland, but I knew Newburgh well. I went to Fox. And, and so I'm thinking about those hills. I'm thinking about, wow, we're going to move to Newburgh. We're going to live there. And, and I really loved living here when I was in college. I was really excited. And so I'm thinking about those hills. And I see just this giant, beautifully you know, woven tapestry just draped over those hills. And I'm like, hmm, what's that? And the Lord brings to mind a scripture from Isaiah 61. He says, with your church plant, I am going to exchange uh, for the spirit of despair a garment of praise. And so Newburgh is actually gonna be marked by a place that praises, <laughs> by a place that worships. And I'm, I'm doing this exchange. I'm laying this garment of praise on this town. And so, I, you know, you're like, why, why did we build a church around worship? We couldn't not. <laughs> we had to build a church around worship. This was direct uh, vision from God. I remember the Lord on that, on that same flight just saying, this is your vision for impact, So you want to have impact. I mean, if you think about it, any business venture, any venture that you go out and you do, you want to have impact. You want to be efficient. And so as as I was thinking about even planting a church, it's like, we want to plant a church around the thing that matters most. And he's like, praise, worship. Now, how could that be? How could it be that getting a group of people together and singing songs, worshiping in a room, is our strategy for impact. Like, what about mobilizing people in their various industries? How about that? Anybody ever, have you ever had this thought? How do I make my Christian walk with God work in the industry that I work in? Yeah, like, everybody? It's easy, I'm a pastor. (laughs) You're like, yeah, but I am like, on like, building this little tiny part that's gonna go in this little bearing all day. That's all that I do. It's like, how does that work? Why not build a church that can speak to that and can get business experts in to teach you how to build, you know, God-driven business? What about um, giving people tools to deal with the barrage of information that we're constantly receiving in our secular world? Do you guys feel like you have any tools for that? <laughs> You're like, I've been here for two years, I still don't feel that way. Um, What I want you to see this evening is that we believe, when we planted this church, we we planted with a belief that worship is the start of everything. You want a godly business? You need to worship. (laughs) You want to know what to do at work? You need to worship. You want to know how to handle the barrage of information in our secular age? You need to worship. I aim to convince you that this evening. We'll see how I do. Worship is the beginning of addressing all personal issues and all ministry that we do. Worship is the beginning. It is personally and culturally transformative when we choose to honor God with our words and melodies and with our bodies. Do you believe that? See, the second reason for building a church around worship, aside from just my story and what the vision we felt God gave us, is that worship is a two-way street. We've, uh, actually, Andrew, at our little production meeting, you were praying this. You were praying my message. Worship is a two-way street. Here's what C.S. Lewis says, and I just think this is it's one of the best quotes of his, which is saying a lot. He says this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes The enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. Yeah, you're like, I thought I knew all the best Lewis quotes. No, that's like the best one right there. (laughs) It is in the expression of adoration, it is in the expression of praise. That we experience the fullness of God's goodness. We experience the fullness of His character. We receive who He actually is. See, we always get blessed whenever we bless Him. You guys are quiet tonight. I know I'm back, guys, so you're going to have to, I need some more feedback than this. Why is that? When we bless him, I mean, I'm sure you guys have experienced this. You've come in, you've, you've given him praise, you've, you've worshipped, and you find yourself leaving more blessed than anything that you thought you gave. You're like, what the heck just happened to me? I'm, I, I'm so full. Well, here's what David says in Psalm 22, verse 3. He's speaking to God. He says, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Isn't that interesting? Another translation, I think the uh, NIV actually says, dwelling in the praises, dwelling. Where his people praise, there he is. So, so logically think about this great mystery, if we can, just for a moment. Where people give him worth, he blesses them with all that comes from him just being in the room. Wherever people choose to worship him, there's this, this exchange that happens where he shows up and he ends up blessing them, then they could ever bless him. It is in the atmosphere of worship that he dwells. Now, now get this you may walk in one night and you have a bad attitude. And you, you don't have to raise your hand. You may walk in and you have a bad attitude and you're like, I know I should be here, but I don't really want to be here. And I don't really feel like, you know, Jake's jumping. I don't feel like jumping. I'm not going to jump. In fact, I'm going to get a cup of coffee. So you leave. You come back in, and the whole place, people are really worshiping. They're really passionate, and there's a level of dissonance in your heart. You're like, well, I just don't feel it right now. You've probably experienced this if this is you, where you come into a space where people are worshiping, and if you stay long enough, you find yourself meeting with God as well, even though you didn't have the same intent in your heart. He's just in the room. And you find yourself ushered in through other people's worship. Last Sunday, this happened to me last Sunday. Last Sunday, I had a tough month. I come back from this month. I come to church, and I'm not ready to worship. It was a hard month. I'm actually a little bit bitter about the past month. I'm a little bit disappointed. I was like, I was asking the Lord, I was like, how would I sum up the past month? Disappointing. I'm disappointed. And um, so, so worship starts. It's so powerful. I can't deny that it's powerful. I certainly can't sit there where all y'all are going to look at me. So I go back to the sound booth. I sit in that chair that Andrew's sitting in right now and I just cry for a half an hour. <laughs> I, just, I just weep. I just absolutely cry my eyes out. I have no idea why. I have no idea, no specific word from God about, well, here's why in this. I'm just like repenting of everything that I need to repent of. I am just getting blessed out of my wildest imagination. I have no idea what he said. I just know that he knew me. I just know that he was in the room and that everything was going to be okay, no matter what it looked like. He's so worthy of our praise. It is the only natural response for people who have really seen him. It's the only natural response. You walk in and you you had a a, a bad day. You walk in and you're like, I don't know. And all of a sudden he walks into the room (laughs) and you go, I can't help but actually praise you because I've seen you. Because I've seen you. At the same time that we praise, our worship releases him in a place to do more. Like, like, for example, let's just declare these lyrics. You guys know this song. Let's declare these lyrics out loud, all together. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. Uh, when, when, when you say that, what, there are, I think, there's probably many things happening, but I think there's at least two things happening. The first thing that's happening is that truth is being told about God. That's what it means to praise God. It's telling the truth about God out loud. That's praising him. But the second thing that's happening when we do that is our minds are being renewed by that truth. What renews a place? Renewed people. So it's very important that we worship. It's very important that we praise. Don't think that we're just singing songs or that these are just words on a screen. We are prophesying by song. We're saying, God, this is true about you, even in this place. This is what I believe about you, yes, even right here. Like, imagine a town. I'm sure there's at least one town like this. Imagine a town without any kind of worship. No worship, no believers, no true heart-to-heart worship of God. No adoration, no praise. Could God show up in that town and move? Yeah, because he's God. And we see this, you know, we see examples of this with tribes that have never heard of of God before or or, or, um, Muslims in the Middle East who have dreams of Jesus. Absolutely. He can show up and he can move wherever he wants to move. But he is also looking for people who partner whenever they can partner with him And that is where our worship comes in. What we're doing when we worship, there's worship already happening in heaven right now. It's continual worship. Anytime God shows up in the Bible, what's happening? There's a heavenly host around him that are worshiping him, okay? There's worship taking place. When we choose to worship, we choose to align ourselves with what's taking place in heaven. And we say, God, would it be so here? Worship is one of the most practical ways to live out the prayer on earth as it is in heaven. It's to declare what's going on in heaven here on earth. And so what worship can do is it it actually begins to break down things that seem to loom so large over a place or over a group of people. And suddenly what seemed impossible, a town coming to faith or or a, a city turning towards God, actually seemed reasonable to the people who are praising him. You're renewing your mind. Jesus talks about worshipers who are able to do this, and he marks them with two characteristics. Uh, in John chapter four, in a conversation with, a, with the woman at the well, he says this, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now, in context, what's going on is this woman who's a Samaritan, unable to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. She's standing off at a distance and she can see the temple. And she goes, You know, the Jews say that that's where worship is supposed to take place. But my leaders say that this is where worship is to take place. What do you say? And he says, There's a, there's a time that's coming where location doesn't matter. It's in spirit and in truth that worship takes place. Now, what is that? Have you ever read that and thought, hmm, that's interesting? What is that? Well, here's my opinion. Worship in spirit is saying to God, singing to God, what the spirit is saying about the Father. It's coming into agreement with the Holy Spirit. If all of life is worship, it's not only that, but it is also going where the spirit is going, Serving where the Spirit is serving. Talking to the person who the Spirit says, you should talk to them and share with them. That's worship in Spirit. Oftentimes we've experienced this here where, um, even what Jake, you were talking about this earlier. We'll be singing a song together, and there will be, we, we say, but I guess behind the scenes, we say there was something on that. <laughs> there was something on that song. Well, there's something that, something taking place in that song. It's, it's like, that must be what the spirit is doing. So often what you'll see up here is you'll see Jake or one of our other worship leaders actually kind of pause and go in a different direction or pause and sing something new. Is that random? Did they just like that song? Is that the song that they're like, hey, they wouldn't let me put this in the set list, but I'm going to get it in there anyway? Um, no, that's actually worship in spirit. That's going where the Spirit is going. And and you'll find that when, when you go where the Spirit is going, there's momentum on it. When you don't, it's flat. All of life is about correct response. All of life is about responding correctly to what the Spirit is doing. We are those people that Jesus was talking about in spirit and in truth. Now, what's truth? I think it's declaring, like we did earlier, declaring truth to God, this is who you are, this is your character. But I also think, um, and I think this is an aspect of it, I think that worship in spirit and in truth is worshiping with sincerity of heart. Being, really meaning what you, what you sing. Meaning what you say. Not singing lyrics. that, that There are times, some of these songs are scary. <laughs> and if you sing them, and your heart is out of line with that, it's not a good thing. It's important that I think when we when we see those words and we choose to join our hearts with them. Uh, like I think of that song. Here's a really scary song. Uh, it's um, oh gosh, what is it? It's uh, the song by Callie. She says she says all my love, all my love, you can have it all. That's quite a declaration. Uh, she says, what is the next one? All I what? All my heart. All my heart all my soul, oh, this is a tough one, all I own, you can have it all. (laughs) I've had to stop singing that one at times. I've had to just go, do I mean it? If I mean it, I'm gonna enter in and just trust, oh man, there's breakthrough on that. There's such refreshing on that. But I wanna make sure that if I'm gonna worship in truth, that my heart is in line. Now there's a tension we'll get to in, in just a minute but this is how we minister to him. See, our primary job, see, a lot of people think you plant a church to minister to who? The people of that town. No, 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 no. We planted an outpost of ministry to him. Our job primarily is actually not ministry to you. Our job primarily is ministry to him, and we just believe that when we minister to him, you get ministered to as a result. The final reason uh, this evening... Of why we that was that was awesome. The final reason this evening of why we built a church around worship, is that worship takes you on an identity journey. Worship takes us from slaves to priests. Many of you guys know the story of Exodus. Um, when God wants His people freed from slavery in Egypt, uh, He calls this man Moses, and He says, "I want you to go to to go to your people." And, and I want you to speak to Pharaoh, the leader of all the Egyptians, the, the, the head slave master, and I want you to call for the release of my people. And when he says this to him, he says, and this is what your message to Pharaoh is gonna be. So what happens in Exodus 8, verse one. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what Yahweh says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. The call of God to his people is to come out of slavery and into worship. But doesn't it seem a little bit impractical? It's like, okay, you're gonna call a bunch of slaves out of slavery and right into worship. How about some trauma counseling? Um... How about we do something about the just absolutely wrecked national identity of what it means to be an Israelite at this moment in history? (laughs) That could be helpful. Maybe like a flag or something. Something that really, you know, that they can really gather around. How about uh, you tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Uh, that they can go out into the wilderness and they can learn about the real creation myth where Israelites are actually honored, not that Egyptian creation myth where they're dishonored and turned into slaves. It's almost as if God thinks worship can solve every issue a slave has. Yes. These people just went through slavery. Slavery. <laughs> Which shows you that no matter your personal history, worship is the answer. This word for worship in Hebrew, when it says in that passage that they, you know, tell Pharaoh to release them that they may worship me, it's a very interesting Hebrew word, and it's the, it's the word abod. Can you say that with me? Abad. Uh, which means to serve. So there's other translations um, that, that say, you know, Tell Pharaoh to release my people so that they may serve me in the wilderness. Now, this idea of serving, this word abod, is brought up in other places, and it primarily relates to priestly duties, temple duties, priest work. So, So think about it. God is like, I want my people to be free from slavery so they can become priests. That's what I want. I'm looking for priests. They can serve my presence. This is what it means to be a priest. This is the point. The correct position for all of humans is to be a priest before God. That is the most natural position for all humans. No matter what trauma you've gone through, no matter whether you're battling depression, no matter what's gone on in your life, the most natural position for you is to be a priest. It's to be a worshiper. And this is why we're a worshiping church. I believe the answer to the shakiness that so many people feel in their identity, the answer to the confusion that so many have culturally at this moment is to become worshipers who become priests. There are are many um, today in our culture who believe that the only truth one can really objectively know is their own grievance. The only identity that one can really have is wherever their personal disparities intersect. The, the thinking is, it sort of goes like this there's no reality, there's no moral or objective truth out there. The only thing that I can really know for sure as a, a subjective person is where I have been victimized. Now, this is incentivized in our culture. The person who can find the most intersections of victimization kind of wins the most points or credibility uh, culturally. Now, this certainly, this is not a modern idea, this certainly could have been a way of thinking for newly freed slaves out of Egypt. Our identity, is where we've been victimized. Our identity is where we've been oppressed. But the problem with this way of thinking is that not believing in an absolute truth, a truth that will judge the world in finality, the problem is is that there's no foundation in life but your own perceived resentment. And that is just too shaky of an identity to build your life upon. So you're looking at your friend's Instagram feeds and you're watching people go through the past couple years and their whole reality is shaped around where their disparities and their perceived resentment intersect. And they wonder why, we wonder why there's a mental health crisis in our world. It's too shaky. There's this building that... I'm sure many of you have heard of the, the Wexner Center for the Arts. You guys ever heard of this building, the Wexner Center for the Arts? Kind of a, as, as, we're ta- as I was like reading about it, it's kind of an interesting thing. Les Wexner, uh, who was extremely close friends and partners at one point with uh, Jeffrey Epstein, he's the one who donated all the money to this to be built and certainly had an influence in how it was designed. Now, now why does this building matter and why you're like, left turn, where are we going? This building preaches a gospel. Well, when it was built, the designer, the architect, set out to build a deconstructionist building. That was his goal, to reflect where the culture was at or where he at least desired the culture to go. And so within this building, there are stairways that lead to walls. They don't go anywhere. There's no symmetry in the building. There's scaffolding that was left outside, or what it was supposed to represent, the scaffolding left outside. There's an incompleteness. There's no such thing as the complete. There's no such thing as reality. There's no such thing as objectivity. Everything's incomplete. There's windows that were partly buried. It was a postmodern building. One of the the first and almost best examples of a postmodern building. No reality, no truth. Everything is just interpretation. No design principles or design rules. There's nothing solid or firm or opaque in life. There's just how you see it. That's how you see it. It's not really that way. In fact, no one can really see what really is in this building stands to represent that way of thinking. We see this all over our culture, and the name for it is deconstruction. It's not just, you know, there's a lot of evangelicals these days, people my age who are deconstructing their faith, and, and, and some of that's good, like getting rid of some of the religiosity and getting to relationship. That's a beautiful thing. But, but we see this deconstruction happening across the board. This summer, last summer, in Portland, you're like, is this about George Floyd anymore? No, 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 no. That's about deconstruction. There's, there, there should be no power hierarchy, no authority. And this building, put it back up, this building stands as a testimony to that way of thinking. I see through that comment. I see what you're trying to do. I see through that position of authority that you think you have, that truth claim, everything in this way of thinking is boiled down to grabs for power, and so everything should be deconstructed and seen for what it really is. There's nothing solid, absolute, and this building reflects this, but here's the question that I would pose to the architect. Did you apply that same way of thinking to the foundation of the building? Where that building intersects with Earth, with reality. Did you do that in a postmodern sort of way? Obviously, no. Chad, am I right? No, it doesn't work that way. Chris, no. <laughs> My engineering professors, no, because there is a real ground, and that ground is pretty absolute. There's a real thing called gravity, it's pretty absolute. There's a real way to interact with that ground and and to bear weight. It's called reality. See, the point is this. The deconstruction of today, the skepticism, the critical theory, it has to lead somewhere. Where is it leading? C.S. Lewis, he said this. This is so brilliant. He said, you cannot simply going around through life, seeing through everything. There has to be something solid that you're seeing to. He said, like the window in a kitchen, it has to be seen through to the beautiful garden that is very real and very opaque on the other side. And God says to those who are confused, to a deconstructing world whose identity is their resentment of life's circumstances, come and worship. And I will give you a center for which your whole life was intended to revolve around. I will give you a foundation, an identity, a purpose that you can't find anywhere else. Worship doesn't allow even slaves to be victims. God says, you're a priest. You're a worshiper. Here's what David says in Psalm 26. He says, my foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Where does the level ground come from? It's the blessing of the Lord. We believed when we planted this church that the best thing that we could give to Newburgh was a place for worship, a place to move beyond victimhood and into priesthood. In a sense, Worship, you're like, how are you? I, I talk with other pastors. How are you discipling this generation growing up in a pagan world? What techniques do you have? I have no techniques. Our answer is to worship, our answer is to praise. Our answer is to say, I didn't understand it until I came into the sanctuary, laid it before the Lord, and then I understood. That's our answer. Now, to end, <laughs> maybe you're new to St. Sil or you've been before and you came with friends who won't come back anymore because the worship was so wacky, you're wondering, how do we worship? Okay, I kind of get the why behind worship and why why was the church built around worship? How do we do it? Well, Christians have worshipped in so many different ways, and there's churches even in our own town who express their worship in many, many different ways. There's, there's some churches that are formed around a consistent liturgy, and, and I, I love this. We actually kind of have our own evangelical liturgy, so to speak, where you know, it gets predictable you come in, there's somebody who's going to welcome you, and then there's going to be some worship, and then I'm going to come up, and I'm going to talk for too long, and, and then you're going to greet people, I hate that part, and then, and then you're going to um, sit down, you're going to hear some announcements, there's going to be a message, and then maybe there's going to be a little bit more worship afterwards, and if you're lucky, there's tacos. <laughs> Look, any liturgy that includes tacos, it's a pretty good liturgy, I would say. Um... <laughs> But there's other churches that their liturgy is very different. You stand at specific times, you sit at other times. It's kind of a high church model. I actually think it's really attractive. And and we do a little bit of that of repeating and reading scripture together like we did tonight during the offering. Um, There's other churches that are completely formed around sacraments, and certainly uh, the Catholic church would be included in in, in this uh, way of thinking that the whole purpose, it doesn't matter who the the priest is or who the pastor is or who's teaching. Teaching doesn't really matter. That's kind of a Reformation thing. We come around the sacraments, the body and the blood of Christ, and and we we do that as well, although maybe in a different kind of framework or mindset than the Catholics. Um, There's churches that are formed just around prayer, and, and I guess we did a little bit of prayer for one another tonight, but there's churches that they come together, it's all about prayer. Um, there, there's churches where um, there's ancient Israel practices that are taking place, like blowing horns, the shofar, anybody have one on the shelf at home? Um, there's dancing with banners or flags, these are things that, that ancient, happened in ancient Israel. Um, there's other forms of worship that are taking place even as we speak right now in other uh, churches, churches of um, being quiet, uh, being silent. And, and I think this is one of the legacies of this place that we live is, is being quiet before God. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and then singing, singing before God. That, that, that has taken place for, for thousands of years. Songs have been used as part of how we worship God. And so we want to practice as a church many different forms of worship. We have a tradition. I'm not ashamed of the tradition. I don't, I'm not ashamed of being a part of a church that has a teaching and, 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 and worship songs or anything like that. I know that there's other trends going on and different ways of doing worship, but we'll do our best to incorporate different forms of worship. At the end of the day, though, our aim is responding well to God. That's the end of the day. It's like, I don't care what the form is, did we respond well to God? That is ultimately the heart of worship. It's honesty in response to God. And so when you come into a place uh, like this of worship, it doesn't matter what it looks like, it doesn't matter what it sounds like, so long as you're respecting the people around you, your primary concern is, am I responding well to God's presence in this moment? And that can look so many different ways. There's times where I come in and I, and I go to sing along with the song, and, and I just know, stop, I'm not supposed to sing right now. I'm supposed to sit down and close my eyes, and I'll do it. That's responding well to God in that moment. The, the, there are other times where I know I should kneel, and so it's, a, it's, it's appropriate for me to kneel before God. And if I don't, I know. I'm, if there's an obedience issue at that point. I need to kneel before God. Uh, there are other times where the form of worship is to lift my hands or, or to dance even. And, and, and that's something that we're growing in as a church and that's correct response to God. The point is I'm not responding to the people around me. That's called hype. I'm not responding to the worship leader. That's not my, my job necessarily. My job is am I responding to what God is doing right now? Whatever it is, to respond honestly and correctly, now I mentioned this earlier, there's a little bit of tension here. Because there are many times where you don't feel like standing before God. You don't feel like sitting. You don't feel like kneeling. You don't feel like singing. Maybe uh, you've been in places like I have in your week before you come here. I, I, I often come into this room with all sorts of things that have kind of rubbed off on me. The, the cultural issue of the day, it's, it's, it's still here on my shoulder. The emotional stress of a relationship problem. I'm still kind of carrying that when I walk in. The the visions of the good life through different advertisements and and the discrepancy between my life and that. Uh, Just the parents, you'll understand this is a weariness from responsibility. Just a lot of responsibility in life as you get older. And and I will what I'll do is I'll come in here and I'm like, I don't really want to worship. And I'm the leader. (laughs) I don't really want to praise. Ah. And so do you know what I do? Correct response begins with honesty. I just say to God, here's where I'm really at. There's no pretending with you. You already know everything. I don't want to worship. I don't feel like it. That right there is actually my first act of worship. That right there is the first act of giving him praise. Is acknowledging him, bowing before him saying, I know that you're here, Lord. And I know why I've come. but I don't want to do this, and I'm going to just be honest with you and recognize you as being above me in this moment. It's about honesty with him, but then I'll tell you what, I will normally sense an invitation of some sort after that moment. Um, to, to move from, to a time, from that to a time of receiving. Okay, you don't feel like worshiping? Lay down. <laughs> just watch what I do. You don't feel like worshiping? Just sing this one line, and next thing you know, there's something unlocked in your heart. As I take the invitations in these times of worship, I find that God does what he needs to do in my heart. And next thing I know, I am thinking transformed about the cultural issue. I'm thinking transformed about the stress at home or at work. I'm thinking completely different. It is the definition of times of refreshing from his presence. I so enjoy that. I'm sure many of you guys do as well. The first time that worship is mentioned in the Bible, it's important to know when the first, when things were first mentioned. They give, those moments give definition. Those context, the context of that gives definition to that word. Is in Genesis chapter 22, verse five. That's the first time we ever see the word worship show up in the scriptures. And the word there is shaka. Can you say that? Shaka. In Hebrew, it means bowed or it means low to the ground. Do you know what story that's from? Any Bible nerds out there? Genesis 22? You're like, I have an iPhone and I Google everything now. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Abraham and Isaac. It's from the story of Abraham going with his son up the mountain to sacrifice, to kill his son as worship to God. Read the story. It's wild. Right before they go up the mountain, here's what Abraham says. We are going to worship the Lord. Think about what this first instance is saying about the word worship. What is worship? It is the act of giving to God the things that are most precious to you. Only someone who bows could do that. Only someone who is humble and honest before God could give the things most precious to them and trust them with God. We aren't just singing songs. We are physically representing shaka before God, a bowed posture before the Lord. Thanks for listening. And if we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website, saintshill.church.